I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Solomon writes, The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Treasures of wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Our passage today starts with the words, the Proverbs of Solomon, and this is actually where Solomon changes direction in our text. The first nine chapters of Proverbs pertain to moral issues, for the most part. Now, however, Solomon is going to begin to share his wisdom pertaining to miscellaneous issues. This is the second of three main sections in the book of Proverbs. For the next few chapters, what we're going to do is we're going to see Solomon drawing various contrasts between opposing ideologies, lifestyles, actions, worldviews, etc., That's the purpose of the word but in nearly every verse to come. Sometimes the ideas from one verse to the next will be clearly related, and sometimes they won't be. And that's because Solomon's goal here isn't to give us a narrative. Rather, it's to illustrate for us as clearly and succinctly as possible that there are right and wrong choices to be made. There are wise and unwise decisions that we're capable of making. Making wise decisions and right choices will lead to a more fruitful and enjoyable life. With that in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at some of the things that Solomon contrasts for us in this passage. Starting in verse 1, Solomon lays out a contrast between the joy that a wise son brings his father and the grief that the foolish son brings his mother. There are a few things that are more difficult for a son to see than the grief in the face of his mother. When I was coming out of high school, I planned on going into law enforcement eventually. And so when a recruiter for the United States Marine Corps called me in the middle of my senior year, high school, I was somewhat interested in what he had to say. And I ended up taking the ASVAB test, that's a proficiency test for getting into the military, and I had a good enough score that I qualified for almost any area that I wanted to specialize in. Now, when my mother found out that I was planning on joining the Marines instead of going into college, she was overwhelmed with grief. Through desperate, heartfelt tears, she pleaded with me to go to college first. And her grief was sufficient for me to change my mind, and I ended up not serving in the military. God designed sons to be sensitive to the grief of their mothers and to seek the approval of their fathers. Men have an instinctive desire to make dad proud. The wise son is able to do that, and by doing so, he also avoids the pain of grieving his mother. Next, in verse 2, Solomon contrasts treasures of wickedness with righteousness. There were two men who betrayed Jesus. First, there was Judas Iscariot. He was in charge of keeping track of the money for Jesus and the disciples. And thus, he had an opportunity to store up treasures of wickedness for himself. In fact, this is exactly what he did. He skimmed a portion for himself off the top of the pot. He was an embezzler. He was a thief. And thus, when Mary anointed Jesus with an expensive bottle of perfume... Judas was furious. He was outraged. We could have sold that perfume and given the proceeds to the poor and needy, was his argument. But really, what he saw was money that he could have stolen from being used to bless Jesus. Judas used the money that he stole to buy a field for himself, which none of the other disciples apparently knew about at the time. But he ended up hanging himself in that field when confronted with the harsh reality of guilt that he had over betraying Jesus. There was no peace left in his soul. Simon Peter, on the other hand, he also betrayed the Lord by denying his association with Jesus three times. Jesus had warned Peter that this was going to happen, and he warned Peter that he was on the verge of coming under a serious and severe satanic attack. Jesus had told him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. 
But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and you, when you once again have returned, strengthen your brothers. Indeed, after having denied Jesus, Peter ran away in guilt and shame. But the prayers of Jesus for Peter were answered, and Peter's guilt wasn't great enough to drive him to commit suicide. Instead, he returned, stronger than ever in his faith, and eventually would be among the primary spokespersons for the followers of Jesus in the first century. Solomon's lesson for us here is that we'll enjoy our lives more as a righteous person than as a person who stores up treasure through unrighteous means. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 10, verses 3-5, through 5, Solomon writes, The Lord will not allow the soul of the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. In our passage today, Solomon continues drawing out contrasts for us as a means of showing us what the wise and righteous life looks like. In verse 3, Solomon says that God won't allow the soul of the righteous to hunger, but that he'll reject the craving, or the desires, of the wicked. Now, at first glance, one might be tempted to think that Solomon is contrasting the righteous with the wicked. And he is. It's pretty clear that this is indeed part of what Solomon's trying to get at, but that's really more of a secondary issue here. If we look a little more closely at this verse, we find that he's actually focusing primarily on contrasting the soul of the righteous with the desires of the wicked. The righteous and wise person is far more concerned with their soul than with their substance, and that's contrasted with the wicked person who's far more concerned with their substance than they are with their soul. Translated more literally, this verse would say that God actually casts out the desires of the wicked. He wants nothing to do with what they want. On the other hand, however, the soul of the righteous will never go hungry. Of course, Solomon wrote this before the Holy Spirit was given to all believers. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit as a helper to his followers, and the Holy Spirit dwells within every person who's willing to receive the free gift of salvation by trusting in Jesus. But even before the Holy Spirit was sent to dwell within the faithful, God provided spiritual nourishment regularly for those who needed it and sought the Lord for it. God allows harsh circumstances in our lives sometimes just to show us our need to be spiritually fed. And the same principle held true in the Old Testament as well. I'm reminded of how God sent Nathan to reveal David's sin to David at a time when he was spiritually starving himself and he didn't even realize it. God wasn't going to let David starve, spiritually speaking. But David needed to be confronted with the reality of his sin and reminded of how spiritually hungry he truly was. In verse 4, Solomon introduces us to a general principle pertaining to the management and proper stewardship of one's resources, writing, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. In other words, if you snooze, you lose. Laziness will always result in a lack or a loss of productivity. If you're careful to be attentive, there's an increase of productivity. If you had two employees, one who's diligent and one who's negligent, which would you pay more? Which would you be more interested in holding on to? Which would you let go first if a situation came up which required cutting back? That's the principle that Solomon is hinting at here. And verse 5 is actually very similar. Here Solomon contrasts the wise man who gathers food for the coming seasons when the supply is at its peak with the son who acts shamefully by sleeping when the time of harvest rolls around. The wise man is diligent, whereas the shameful son is negligent. In modern lingo, we'd say, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today, or 
Make hay while the sun's still shining. Laziness just doesn't pay off, and that's what Solomon's trying to teach us here. In many ways, it often backfires on the individual. If God has given you the ability to do something, get it while the getting's good. This concludes Lesson 2. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, Solomon writes, Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Solomon draws a contrast in verse 6 between the head of the righteous and the mouth of the wicked. On the head of the righteous, you'll find blessings. And when we see this word blessings, we shouldn't just think of it as being a good thing in and of itself. Rather, it's something that was put there by another person. And it's pretty clear that in this context, Solomon is referring to God putting something on the head of the righteous. Sometimes the blessings of God are material. Material possessions can be earned, they can be received, like as a gift, or they can be accumulated in illegitimate ways, such as stealing from others or threatening to hurt them. Violent means. Material possessions don't have to be a bad thing. They can be a blessing. Many of the patriarchs of the Old Testament were materially blessed and wealthy. Job, for example, was incredibly wealthy, as were David and Solomon. Having material blessings aren't necessarily a bad thing, as long as we keep them in their proper place, keep them in perspective, and understand that God takes priority and precedence over those things. When we understand that our blessings are from God, we should also understand the need to use those things for the sake of God's kingdom whenever and however possible. Because everything ultimately belongs to God, when a person accumulates material possessions through illegitimate and violent means, what they're actually doing is stealing from God. Thus, the wicked person brings wrath upon themselves. Solomon draws out this contrast even further in the next verse, verse 7, telling us that the memory of the righteous is blessed, but that the name of the wicked will rot. And this is a concept that Solomon's actually covered earlier in this book, but it's worth repeating. Throughout the Bible, we find stories of men whose names are covered in shame and men whose names are covered in honor. The Bible's filled with stories of men who were broken and sinful, and yet God restored them and did great things through them. But then there are also stories of men who rejected the ways of God and thus had to deal with God's wrath. Caleb and Joshua, for example, are remembered for their amazing faithfulness to God, while the ten other men who were with them and opposed them are remembered for their lack of faithfulness. Jesus illustrated this very concept by contrasting Lazarus, who was materially poor but spiritually rich, with the rich man who had many material possessions but was spiritually poor. Now, who was this rich man? Well, nobody can say for sure. Nobody knows. He's not mentioned by name. But Lazarus is mentioned by name and is remembered for his faithfulness and his reward. The lesson here is this. You can choose one of two paths. You can be wise and have your sins blotted out by trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation. Or you can be a fool and have your name blotted out from the book of life. Eternity's at stake. Will you choose to have your sins or your name blotted out? This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 10, verses 8-10, through 10, Solomon writes, The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. In our passage today, Solomon starts out by contrasting the heart of the wise person and the mouth of the foolish person in verse 8. It's been said that because God gave us one mouth and two ears, we should listen twice as often 
as we speak. The wise person realizes that there are moral standards that God expects us to keep, and they accept those standards and do their best to live by them. The fool, however, doesn't take the time to even think about moral standards because they're too busy flapping their lips. They're too busy being concerned about their right to speak their mind whenever and wherever and however they choose. One of the characteristics of the group referred to as the new atheists is that they're not concerned with logic, they're not concerned with reason, they win arguments by saying more and speaking more loudly than the voices of reason. God's word tells us that in the end, their babbling will be their downfall, and they will be ruined. The word ruined here actually means cast aside or thrust downward. And when I read that, in light of this understanding of the word ruined, I'm reminded that every knee will bow before Jesus as Lord someday. Those of us who love him and have followed him will bow before him out of reverence, awe, and love. Everyone else will have their knee bent before him because they'll be forced to do that. They'll be literally thrust downward. Moving on to verse 9, Solomon contrasts the straight walk of the wise with the crooked walk of the perverted fool. The path of righteousness is secure, but the path of the wicked is both crumbled and crowded. The biggest mistake that the fool makes is thinking that nobody notices their sin, but the day's coming when they'll realize that nothing, no sin, has escaped God's notice. For followers of Jesus, secret sin is one of the enemy's greatest and most powerful weapons. The best thing that can happen to the person with a secret sin problem is that they'll be found out. I truly believe that God will ensure that that's eventually what will happen with his children. Where there's darkness, there's no light. Where there's no light, there's a place for sin to fester and grow. God's been known to shine the light into the darkness and by doing so to burn away the desires of the flesh that fester in the darkness of our hearts. And finally, verse 10 should ring a bell for anyone who's been reading through the book of Proverbs. The winking of the eye is an act that was actually mentioned back in chapter 6, verse 13. See, the eyes can say a lot about a person's thoughts, intentions, and feelings. Anyone who studies body language concentrates first and foremost on the eyes, because they tend to instinctively give someone away. It's as if a person can control their entire body, but not their eyes. The look in a person's eye can frequently give their true thoughts and intentions away. Solomon knows that a wink can also be a secret means of communication, a signal which communicates more quickly than the mouth can. Solomon tells us this type of thing causes trouble, and repeats the phrase, the babbling fool will be ruined. We should note, however, that in this verse, verse 10, there isn't a contrast, there's not a direct contrast with anything. Instead, Solomon is comparing the pain that the fool inflicts on others with the ruin that'll be brought upon themselves. One way to ensure your own ruin is to promote violence against others. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation 
in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus.